What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and welcome back to the Facts Project. It's been a long hiatus, but I appreciate everybody joining me today. Special guest, if I'm saying it correctly, Brett Hillishine. You got it, man. You man. got it. You know what? I got it on the first try. I was trying that shit all day. All right. You may know him from Indie Comic Dispatch, but today he is on the other side of this where he's not doing the interviews. And we are going to talk about Immortalis, his first storyline printed and published with Wingless Comics. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is. It's so weird to be on this side and like not be in control. So I'm going to do my best to just sit here and let you ask the questions. You know what? I, I appreciate it. because well, well, first and foremost, I, I have to bring up the fact that me and you have sort of the same um, the same like minded spirit in indie comics. Mm -hmm. You doing indie comic dispatch for as long as you have me doing the facts project as long as I've had. And the majority of it is that we love the stories that we put together, the stories that we talk about. Yeah. And pretty much, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the back of back of your wall. I can see tons of comics back there. Yeah. Yeah. I literally have this one shelf. I mean, you can't see beyond me or anything like that. <laughs> but I understand exactly where you're coming from. Like you, you, you are a fan of a lot of indie comics, a lot of indie stories that mm -hmm. are put out there for you, and you get to talk about them on a weekly or better yet monthly basis, which yep. is all all by the means great so i just wanted to put that out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah huge fan of indie comics i just think that the storylines we get the characters we get are so much real so much more authentic than uh, the mainstream publishers um and uh, it's you just can't find the stories that you find in indie comics anywhere else i love it i love that it that's true. And that is a perfect segue into what we are going to talk about. And that is Immortalis. Yes. So when when we're bringing up this this specific storyline, mm -hmm. you decided to go into the genre of historical fantasy. Yeah. Why did you choose to do that? So uh, it really has for me has been all about the the fall of Constantinople. When I was an undergraduate in um, college, um, I, I had to take a medieval history class. I don't even remember why I had to take a medieval history class, but I had to. And I was so not looking forward to it, but I had the best professor in the world. And he told us through the course of that class about the fall of Constantinople. And there were several kind of big movies out at the time. I remember uh, Two Towers was, was one of them that had just been out, Lord of the Rings. And, of course, the Battle of Helm's Deep and that. And he told about the fall of Constantinople in such a way that I was just like, why is nobody talking about this? Why hasn't there been a blockbuster movie made of this? Like, this is an awesome story. Um, and over, gosh, 20 plus years now, um, that story uh, just sparked creativity in me and just evolved in my head to the point where it's it's history. It's based on the fall of Constantinople, but my brain has just added all these fantasy elements to it because there's a lot of myths and legends that sprung up among the people of that area around the fall of Constantinople. Um, so it's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, and, and for a lot of people that do not understand this, we're talking about the Ottoman Empire, we're talking mm -hmm. about the Byzantine Empire, we are talking about what you may know now as modern-day Istanbul, which yep. is Turkey. 
Yep. You know? So uh, for a lot of people that do not know, this is one of the one of the Roman last ports um, yeah. and posts that they had. It is, of course, a a signature hub of connection between Europe and Asia and mm-hmm. Africa because uh, because of where it stands geographically. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking at um, it, they, they, I mean, I, shit, I remember we might be giants, the Animaniacs uh, uh, <laughs> episode where it was Istanbul, Wisconsin-Nobel. There was yep. like a song. Yeah, there's a song. Yeah, there's yeah. A song. Istanbul, Wisconsin-Nobel. I remember that song. Yep. yep. There's nobody's Here, business but the Turks. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. See, look, yep. you'd be on the same damn page. Yep. <laughs> but more so, um, when you were putting this together, mm-hmm. um, not a lot of people like to dive into a- any type of historical or factual prowess when they're putting their books together. You yes. decided to basically like take this chunk of historical uh, fact and then mold it into a world of fantasy. Mm hmm. Now, how did this come about? Because no, as long as you've been a lover of indie comics, this is your first go around of basically publishing your own indie work. Yeah. Why this? Again, the story's just been in my head. And as so Brian Lambert of Wingless Comics and I have been friends and he has been kind of part of indie comics dispatch in the background since close to its inception really um he's always been an ear i could bend and and just talk to stuff get feedback on um and so through the course he's he was always kind of hammering me brett i know you got a story i know you got a story i know you got a story when are you going to tell it when are you going to tell it um and so my story has always been the fall of Constantinople, the great, great book I was always going to write was going to be on that. Um, in my mind, it was a novel. Um, and as you start kind of going through some of the the myths and legends that sprung up around it that are kind of major, that are kind of central, that in every retelling of the fall of Constantinople, people mention um, there's a mysterious blue glowing that happens over the, the main church in Constantinople called the Hagia Sophia. Um, that nobody knows what happened to Emperor Constantine. He just he leads the charge as the Ottomans are invading the city and he disappears. And there's this whole lore and mythology that that follows that story. And then there's all these kind of myths and legends of demons and characters around it um, that kind of helped contribute to the fall um, because they didn't like Rome or whatever. Um, and so that's synergizing that with the historical facts. Right. So that what we know happened and then taking into account all these myths and legends um, just kind of helped it evolve along the way into a fantasy story um, because you can't incorporate those myths and legends without ultimately making it a fantasy story. Now, if, if you could explain mm-hmm. some of the characters that are involved in this book. Yeah, so there's um, really five main characters um, that we we get to see. Um, Constantine, Emperor Constantine the Eleventh. he's the last kind of Roman emperor um, the, the Western Empire would say he's the last of the Eastern Empire. He would say he's the last of the Roman Empire because this was really the Roman Empire's last stand right here. This was it. Um, Italy at that point, actual Rome was taken over by the papacy. The Roman Empire was was hanging by a thread out here in Constantinople. Um, so Constantine is very central to the story. Um, 
because it's his city. Um, in real life and in our story, Constantine is searching. He sees the writing on the wall. He knows what's going to happen within his lifetime to to his city. Um, the Ottoman Empire is growing stronger and stronger. Um, they are taking more and more territory, and he he knows what's going to happen. So he is desperately searching for a way to save his city. Um, and in in our story, we take it altruistically and say say he's trying to find a way to save his people. Um, right. Now, in actuality, he, real Constantine probably was just trying to figure out a way to hold on to power. But right. in our story, our character uh, does it for the motivation of good. Um, Constantine's kind of number two man is Lucas, again, based on a real historical uh, character. He's the Grand Duke of the, of the Byzantine Navy. Um, and he's in our story. In our story, he's, he's Constantine's best friend. He's the one who kind of keeps him grounded um, in, in the here and now as Constantine is searching uh, for the for the uh, there's a prophecy and Constantine's trying to search for what this prophecy means and so Lucas kind of kind of keeps pulling it back to reality um, and then the kind of unknown in the story is Gailu she's a uh, immortal now Gailu is based on a Byzantine myth um, about a woman who a demon woman who goes around and murders newborn infants um, so that was their way of explaining probably SIDS and other things that happen to babies um, okay. And so, but in our story, Gailu has that past, but she's, she's trying to change her, her, her story essentially. Um, and it's yet to be seen how that's going to happen. Um, okay. Cause I, in, the way I was looking, I'm sorry, the way I was looking at it from the beginning is that like, uh, I, the way I see Emperor Constantine, like pretty much, uh, when, when he's seeing that there's pretty much danger approaching and there's pretty much no way out, he's yeah. looking towards like, a supernatural type of stretch to yes aid him yes yeah and to gain advantage yep yep there's been this prophecy that the oracle of patras um had given and he's been trying to figure it out he thinks it pertains to him he thinks it pertains to his city he just can't figure out how mm. so he that's that's kind of where the story begins is him trying to unravel this mystery of the prophecy now, is it more so manipulation? Is it more so seduction? Is it or is it more so uh, it's not that he's being coerced. It's more so that he's just like he's just desperate. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. like I was thinking like he's he's just desperate for the help. Yeah. And yeah. He's, like, he's not seeing any means in doing so from uh, any allegiances that he's made in the past. Yeah. Like, OK, if I'm going to do this, I pretty much got to like Mark. Uh, commit to the mark of the beast and go for it here. If the, if there's only one way to regain power or to mm -hmm. stay in power, it's to forfeit myself to mm -hmm. these supernatural spirits and let that take over and then let it, let it work, work its way out to a large degree. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, at the beginning when this, when this prophecy is given, he doesn't know there's supernatural happenings. And he slowly starts figuring it out. And throughout the course, it, Immortals will be a four-part uh, series. Um, and throughout the course of the series, he he does exactly what you say. He he begins to gamble with in his head what what he's going to do. Do I just surrender to these forces so that my people can live? Do I do I fight? Do I run? What do I do? So he's always struggling with that in his right. head. Now, now, is it more so for the sake of his people, or is he? pretty much pretty much selfish and just looks looks is looking out for himself 
in our story, he's motivated by his people. He is good natured. Um, okay. Now there's always a little bit of selfishness there that I think he, he wrestles with. Um, and a little bit of ego, which he thinks that he can be the one to figure it out. He can be the one to save his people. Um, and that's, that's all things he's going to have to have to deal with as the series progresses is can he, should he be the only one? Should he be the one even that, that does all this? Is there a one even? So um, his character flaws are ego and, and probably pride. Um mm. Yeah. Well, pride being one of the seven deadly sins, I exactly think that it essentially helps his case. Yeah. Um, now, when when we're looking at this from the from the from the end of how this is going to take place, this is a four part story mm -hmm. from from the ways that you're basically putting this together. Yeah. Um, there is an issue zero. Um, there so is. Yeah. There's a prequel to this. Now, where does this configure in the overall story? So issue zero technically takes place. We don't really pin it down, but but in the history of that region, it would have taken place about 20 years before issue one. Um, so issue zero is available for free on Wingless Entertainment's website. You can download it for free um, and, and kind of see it. And it's just kind of that first chance meeting between Constantine and Gailu and Lucas. And it kind of kind of just gives a tiny it's only four pages, so it's not very long, but it gives a tiny bit of insight into their characters. Mm, okay yeah so like as far as guy lose intentions mm -hmm. and what does she hope to gain in this coercion if you want to call it that of constantine and how this is going to move forward for her i know she's like sort of like in a power not not a power struggle but in a struggle mentally be to be like yeah um, she's looking to be well liked or she's looking to like live amongst the living Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, we've released a what's called the Book of Gailu Part 1. So of everything I'm about to say, you can actually read um, if you have gotten the latest issue of Jim Mole Anderson's Four Pages, 16 Bars. Um, it's part of that anthology series. Um, but Gailu originally was an agent of hell. So when, when the war broke out between heaven and hell, she sided with Morningstar. Um, she sided with him because she just always wanted freedom. And she felt that God put restrictions on on people and she just wanted to live her life. And so she joined Morningstar for freedom through joining with Morningstar. She became an immortal. He gave her certain powers um, and her task was to go around and slay the newborn image bearers, just like in the Byzantine myth of, of Gailu. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was out there doing that for years, for, for centuries. Um, and eventually she came to a, a stable one evening newborn baby in the stable um mm. and it was a different type of baby and she just kind of saw the truth of what she had been doing and she abandoned her mission she abandoned everything um and has since been wandering ports just trying to seek to do good um in any way, way she can so her motivation is self-redemption but sometimes she goes about it in ways that we wouldn't see as redemption because her mind has been so darkened for so long and been in such a dark spot her means of self-redemption sometimes um we we wouldn't agree with now is she looking to pretty much i guess um uh, cancel out the fact that she wants to be an immortal going for she doesn't at this point it's yet to be seen if she can cancel that even uh... she's just looking to avoid hell 
and do whatever she can to to do good. Um, now she does have an ulterior motive for showing up in Constantinople. Um, so she's not there out of all altruism. Um, she's there for her own um, her own purposes also, which we'll discover as the series goes on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, when you talk now, when you're bringing up the immortals and mm -hmm. bringing up the the fact that she was an agent of hell, mm -hmm. uh, what exactly? What exactly is your definition of the immortals in this story as opposed to how they're described in many others? So in, in this story, they are bound to a particular demon or angel of hell. Um, so an angel of hell grants them powers and in granting them powers from themselves, they are also granted immortality, just like the, the angel of hell is. Um, and so for Gailu and for another antagonist within the story's named Zagonos, um, they are both immortal immortals who were granted abilities um, from a demon or an angel of hell. Um, and so they are kind of um, certain areas of the globe have been called under truths by this war between heaven and hell. Certain time periods, just, they can't, the forces can't engage one another. Um, but these, these agents, these immortal agents who are technically human, they can keep doing hell's dirty work. So whereas heaven might be like, okay, hands off we're not battling right now you guys hell's still working their their angle with their immortal agents wow okay so uh now you described the an, another character zagonos now mm -hmm. where does he fit in the overall scheme of this story he is so ultimately um he is an agent of hell who has been tasked with capturing gailu and there's an organization within Wingless Comics called the Magistrato. They're kind of the hell um, behind the behind this stage curtain manipulating things. And they have tasked Zagonos with not only capturing Gailu, but also manipulating the Ottomans into attacking Constantinople. Mm. So he's it's pretty much an overall scheme in in in, in nature. Yep. Yep. So he he is the one pushing um, the Sultan's buttons and motivating the Sultan to maybe attack Constantinople before he was going to. Okay. So I am going to reference uh, another uh, storyline, which mentions the Ottoman empire. Have you ever heard of the movie by Terry Gilliam called adventures of Baron Munchausen? Yes. Although it's been forever since I've seen that movie, but I remember watching that movie so many times on HBO growing up. <laughs> right. So this story of course is a reference to the Ottoman empire it is the uh, it is a historical fantasy tale uh, mm -hmm. about these uh, about the sultan being manipulated by supernatural powers, uh, which which in present day you wouldn't think they're supernatural powers, but he is right. he is being dissolved by a force that is causing him to uh, I guess act on the last stand of of uh, of of the Ottoman empire. So mm -hmm. like, well, like that was one movie when I, when I was reading the summary of this book, I was like, wow. I was like, hold on. I was like, this is bringing me back to the eighties. And I'm thinking yeah. Baron Munchausen where he is a, uh, he is a past Roman soldier who has to go through li literally hell <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. come back out with his band of pretty much superhuman type army one that can hear very well one that can has a, a supreme eyesight that can shoot yeah. uh, within like a thousand yards away one that is very strong 
um and one that can run very fast like the flash so there's yeah i remember all that now he almost like superhuman beings yeah had aiding him in this in this battle and it was all against the sultan of turkey Mm -hmm. so the this this storyline even though it's very serious in presence and of course that terry gilliam brought that out to be almost like a comedy yep some sort of it it, it kind of resonated with me when I was reading the summary going forth. So that kudos to you, bro. Like, <laughs> it, it made me go back to the past. And I actually, when I was reading this, I was like, let me watch Baron Munchausen. <laughs> That's hilarious. Cause I, like I said, I remember watching that, but in my brain, that wasn't anywhere in my conscious brain as I was coming up with this story, but now I got to go rewatch it just to Absolutely, see like, man, yeah, a lot of great, great actors in there. Yeah. Man. And yeah. There's a young Uma Thurman as cute yeah. Aphrodite in there. Yeah. You know, like there's that, a ton of actors in that one. Ton, like John Cleese, Monty Python mm-hmm. actors in mm-hmm. that storyline. Yep. Definitely. So you mentioned uh what, what you mentioned uh the Magistrados, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Mortis, uh Morningstar. Mm-hmm. The connection now. Mm-hmm. We're 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 now crossing a bridge. Yeah. To yeah, wingless, so. uh, wingless comics. So of course. Now uh, we're talking about um, Brian Lambert's, uh, of course, uh, four issue. I think we're in his fourth issue. And of course, he's had Nightfall, which has been mm-hmm. his crossover with Con- uh, Constant Hustle Comics, as well as um, if I'm a Concept Moon. Concept Moon, yep. Concept Moon. So like uh, this, this whole story parallels mm-hmm. into that universe, per se, because you mentioned Morningstar. And of course, with if if anybody in here has read indie comics and have read Justice, you know that he is a merchant Mm -hmm. of of heaven and and of course does a lot of does a lot of his business with hell. Yeah. With with Caliburn and a lot of the other characters that are pretty much barred out there. And yet Morningstar is one of these characters. Now, the manipulation of a person like Morningstar uh basically pinpointing and strategically placing a person like Guy Lou within mm-hmm. the story to have uh, to have a historical landmark in a war that you wouldn't think that this person would need to be at where does this all take place now so um Brian and I have had so many conversations about this so when I finally told him um my story idea he was like, now, if you don't publish this with Wingless Comics, I'm going to be really mad at you and I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, Brian. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, you know, what? well, I'm only telling you because I want to publish it with Wingless. Now, where does this fit? And so we had lots of conversations on where this fit. And really, the, the this four part series of Immortalis kind of builds out some of that early lore for the what we call the Wingverse. Um, okay. So there's stuff that's being created and set into permanent wingless lore as part of the series. Um, So Brian and I have worked very closely together to incorporate those things into the story in a way that makes sense across all titles. Cause you got justice, you got caliber and you got her, you got Lux coming down the line. You got the saber initiative. I mean, there's a whole line of wingless comics going to be coming out in the next year or so that this kind of helps set in motion what's happening in the background of all those. Um, and so there's actually already been an Immortalis. I'm not going to tell you where, if you if you can find it, g- good for you. Um, there's already been an Immortalis character that appeared in a Justice comic. 
Um, I, I got them all here. I, now I got to go, go look through this. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and within Immortalis, there will be so many Easter eggs of things that you've seen in Justice and, and Nightfall as the story progresses. So um, mm. it's really weaving that early world building lore of the whole wing verse. That goddamn Brian Lambert. Yep. All yep. right. So I, in, in my talks, and, and note, I've had probably three good long talks with uh with Brian here on 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 the podcast about whether it's been Justice or mm-hmm. it has been Nightfall. And I remember us talking about the Saber Initiative. I remember us talking about Lux. I remember us talking about her. I remember us even talking about Immortalis. Mm-hmm. And I, within this particular storyline, within Immortalis, I was wondering, okay, is this more so the precursor for what was happening in present day? Nightfall ended up being this climactic conclusion, uh, this ultimate crossover. Justice then superseded that, going forth and having another climax all its own, almost like its own volume by itself. Yep. And we're looking at Immortalis as like the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we would, like we had to pretty much pull back yeah. almost a good 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, yeah. 500, 600 years, almost 600 years. Yeah. 600 years. Yeah. 600 years to actually like be like, okay, what initially started the campaign going forward mm-hmm. that Ultimately, there would be this big climax where, you know, you had all these trade issues that were going to go forward. Now we're pulling back 400 years to actually like where it started. So basically, yeah. there had to be like turmoil that was building mm-hmm. within uh, within the, within this series, within Immortalis, that essentially that was going to be the foregone conclusion that was going to rest assure all these books going forth. Yeah. So I got to say as someone who loves indie comics and just loves storylines in general to see that i was like there had to be so much strategy going into this because that that sounds nuts yeah yeah what these stories are already done this is like Mm -hmm. seven stories that are already done maybe even eight yeah i mean brian has I think through issue five of justice all scripted out already. So like, yeah, like, so there's 10 solid issues at least that are scripted. Um, the, the cool thing is, is that when I came to Brian with my idea, he was like, a lot of this fits unchanged. Like we could just got to tweak some terms to make it fit within wingless comics, but this is spot on. So like Brian and I just had this connection from, from the get and it just, revealed itself in our storytelling um we were we were telling the same story in two different time periods we just didn't know it at first mm. you know what I, there, there's a reason that i get to talk to you guys man because you know I, I i tend to find out a lot of things out that that most of the readers don't get to see and the yeah. thing is you wouldn't know so unless you actually like bought all of yep. the comics yep. so i implore everybody before we even continue talking to get into you know basically buying up all the issues of justice buying up all the issues of nightfall if you have the saber initiative which was a a kind of like a companion package yeah the last issue of justice and then now we're we're going backwards so like uh if we're talking about 
let, let's put in the, the essence of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Everybody understands the Skywalker saga, but you had to understand Rogue One to know exactly be like, okay, this is where this is where it began. This is yep. where like basically all the reason that the Rebel Alliance pretty much wanted to be gung ho in destroying the Empire so far all derived from this moment. So mm-hmm. then, so I'm going to look at this storyline, even though it's four issues. Mm-hmm. There's a signature moment in this books that is pretty much going to be the telltale fact that goes into the wing verse and be like, okay, this is the reason why all this happened. Yeah, yeah, there'll still be some memories, or memories, mysteries um, that we hold back, obviously, for future storylines. But yeah, you'll get you'll get great understanding of what what is going on between heaven and hell and kind of the the players happening here um from from this series mm. and no uh, that's that's absolutely great now aside from this tale and of course this is still live on kickstarter right yeah. now how, yeah. how many days you got left oh, we got like uh, barely over two weeks left so we, we the campaign ends on september 16th that's absolutely great and you're yeah. already funded yeah, already funded, already met our first stretch goal, working towards our second stretch goal, which is a Gailu uh, tarot card that every physical backer will get. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing great. We got almost 150 backers, getting close to 150 backers, which to me is like incredible. Like 150 people want to read something I wrote. What? Like, that's awesome. Well, well, to be honest, you're you're touching into a genre that is pretty much untapped. Like yeah. historical fantasy, like people have touched fantasy, epic fantasy. People have touched, uh, of course, they, they've they done their street level comics. They've done their superheroes and everything like that. You know, this is something that is pretty much like an uncharted realm that people would be like, OK, you know, I yeah. would love to see what happens here. Yeah, we, we've gotten some pledges from people who are like, I don't know what this story's about, but you said historical fantasy and I love Roman. So I backed like and they, they would they send me messages <laughs> like that. I'm like, cool. Like, I, I'm, I'm happy you found it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, you you might have a lot of like history history geeks that are just like you know what I'm in. Yeah, yeah, and then and then the the part will be, did I do it right for those history geeks? You know, for for them reading it after the fact, are they going to get pissed oh, that yeah. I left out? Yeah, oh, yeah, you you better we'll find be, out. But, but you have to describe to them and be like, it's it's fantasy. At yeah, the end of the day, you know, man. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm not supposed to be factual. It is a comic. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, there's a lot of fantasy that goes with this. So there's there's going to be particular characters. You're going to be like, oh, well, that never happened. They're like, yeah. well, I made it happen. Comics, you can do pretty much anything. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So uh, aside from this, you've done an anthology program with the mm-hmm. uh, Tales, Tales of the Dispatch. Yep. We've done three um, volumes of that. The three volumes of that. Now, this is this was pretty much, I would say, Aside from the podcast and aside from your live streams, this was your beginning into mm-hmm. like getting a, a niche into writing short stories into your dispatch tales. Now right. you say like, um, ultimately of course, immortalis was in your mind, mm-hmm. but, um, what was the, uh, the love project and putting tales of dispatch together? So tales from the dispatch. Uh, I'm I'm just editor on. Um, none of the tales are mine. Uh, myself and uh, Drew Lenhart of Snowy Works Comics. Um, 
he he kind of came to me. I had had this idea of giving creators who wanted to be published, but maybe didn't have any other venue of publishing um, and doing an anthology. Um, and then out of the blue, Drew Linhart of Snowy Works messaged me and says, hey, I have this idea for an anthology. <laughs> and I said, okay, me too. Um, and so after some talking, we settled on a first-time creator anthology. So all the stories that you read in Tales from the Dispatch, all three volumes are first time first or second time creators there's some second time in there but they've people who've not been largely published or recognized within the comic world um and so they they are first stories are in there we went through a submission process of through for each volume last year we we published every story that was submitted to us because um they were just so good that we couldn't turn any of them down so we did two Uh volumes last year um and this year we were a bit more choosy so we did we did um have to reject a few um, but we still have over a hundred pages in volume three of just great storytelling. Um, anywhere from like three pages to I think the longest is eight pages of storytelling. Um, and you just get so many great stories in there. And it's these creators first time being published in a volume and um, being able to hold something that they've created in their hand. And it's, it is honestly one of my favorite projects we do all year long at Indie Comics Dispatch is the anthology because every year, I'm just amazed at the stories that we get in it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as far as just the creation that's being put into them, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of first time creators out there that when they finally get to see their work on a page, it probably blows their mind. And I'm sure it happened to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I see the cover for Immortalis, I'm like, man, this really looks dope. But to be the person that like actually like that idea came from. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so Immortalis issue zero was part of the Nightfall three campaign. So when Nightfall three came out, Immortalis was printed in the back of that. And when I got my physical copy of that, I mean, I probably just sat there on the couch and stared at it for a good long time because I was just like, man, this is something that came out of my brain that is now on paper published and in the hands of people. I don't even know. Um, and so um, it, it is such a cool feeling to to see something you've created in your hands um, and just know that people are out there reading it and some may like it some some may not but that's okay you you've made something and put it out into the world and that's to me that that's awesome um, whenever anybody does that that's very true that's very true now if we're looking at modern day comics Mm -hmm. that are pretty much being put out and of course you being a champion of indie comics for so long and if it now how long have you been doing indie comic dispatch we are in year three. Um, so yeah. Three. So yeah, not three full years yet, but coming up on three or on two and a half years. 2019. Uh, early 2020. I started. Early 2020. Okay. Well, I mean, it's kind of tricky because um, we weren't called any comic dispatch. It was just my personal Instagram channel at first. Right. And so, uh-huh. um, so it was probably late 2019 when, when I, on my, on my feed started featuring indie comic reviews and trying to promote um indie comic creators mm, okay yeah I, and now what would you say as far as present day uh what has been your experience with indie comics as opposed to the mainstream you know i turned to indie comics um for representation so i'm white um but i have five children who are black and um my my black children were looking at my largely white comic books. Um, I'm a huge Superman fan. And if you look through 
most Superman comics, it's wall to wall white people. Um, And so my particularly my youngest son, um, Will, um, he he was looking through it and he he was having a hard time deciding what he wanted to be for Halloween. I said, bud, do you like you like Superman so much? Why don't you dress up as Superman? And he went, Dad, I can't. And I was like, why? He's like, because Superman's white. And that's when I realized that I had kind of failed that diversity um, test of what he was being exposed to. Right. So, of course, we had a very long conversation and I, I started that day researching black superheroes. And once you start down that path, it very quickly leads you into indie comics because there is a wealth of black superheroes within indie comics that you just will not, cannot find in mainstream comics. And so, and then my daughter, Maya, um, followed down that same path. Maya wants to be a comic creator now. Um, and, but she, um, she, she, she saw the other comics was just kind of like, eh, and then she saw Odina from Concrete Comics and she fell in love and she she just can't wait to see the next issue of Odina. She can't wait to see Lux come out from Wingless Comics. Um, and she just she's always scouring through my comics, trying to see what she can find. And she gravitates those that represent her. Nice. Now, now, as far as like um, the epicenter of diversity that it, that we tend to bolster within a lot of the indie comics that we read. Mm-hmm. Um, it, are there are there any publishers that are pretty much out there that you feel as though have stepped their game up? Uh, you've been doing this since uh, s- since the early 2020 and yeah. you've had the opportunity to review, read mm-hmm. and have seen tons of them. And you've even seen them climb through the charts to be like very established publishing companies themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And had the ability to publish other works from other great people, uh, other great people, wingless being one of them, you know, like, is, and do you feel as though if we're, if we're going back to the time of 2018, 2019, and, and I note this because a lot of people were inspired by, by when black Panther came out to basically bring up their own uh, characters to fruition. And, is the is there like just a couple to name that are pretty much step above the rest, still doing tons of work, and have always surprised you by the work that they're putting in? Yeah, um, one of my favorite individuals is David Crownson of Kingwood Comics, Harry oh, Tubman, yeah. Demon Slayer. Um, he he is just an amazing creator, and he's established his own imprint called Kingwood Comics. Um, and they're starting to put out some fantastic stories. Um, so um, keep keep your eye on him um, because he's just a fantastic storyteller and an all-around great person. Yes, sir. Um, Concrete Comics continues to release um, new titles. They, they just finished Watchmen number two, and they're getting ready to launch Acolyte 4, Odina 4, and um, a third one, another one from Onaji um, that I can't think of the title right now. Um, yeah. Um, you know, they are always expanding their offering. Uh, JL Johnson uh, of Ennead, um, yeah, that guy is just a machine. Um, he's always outputting new issues. I think he's got number seven coming out soon. I mean, yeah, the, just... the, the first one was a trade, so like, yeah, so now coming out as a trade, and he's going to put number seven out. So it's like, yeah, it's crazy. Continue. It's crazy how much he puts out. I don't even understand that. Have he? He's got a newborn. Well, he it was a newborn. He works a job, and he's just 
producing so much right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, other than wingless, obviously, um, those are the ones that kind of immediately spring to mind. Um, yeah. Dream Dream Fury Comics. Um, um, they they are starting to expand their offerings. Um, with Kesha, Kesha, I think it's Kesha Demon Demon Hunter. Um, oh, Kesha Demon Eater. Yes, Demon Eater. Thank you. Um, and so they they're growing what they what they're putting out to beyond um their their one title. And so yeah, there's so much so much good stuff out there right now, and so many new people um trying to trying to break into the scene too that it's just it's a remarkable time to be a creator and to be a lover of comics in general yeah definitely i i can honestly say that i think there was a point at the beginning of the summer where i think i probably backed 17 kickstarter campaigns but even in even in that like even we're talking about the crowdfunding aspect Mm -hmm. of it like now I mean, I got introduced to Indiegogo a little bit during that mm-hmm. time, but then Zoop came along. Yeah. And that was a whole nother thing that was basically completely transformative because it only does indie comics. Yeah. And yep. it was put together by two people who've done digital comics in the past, uh, Jordan Plotsky, and, and pretty much have taken on a reins to be like, okay, there's other options for yeah. indie comic book creators if they want to crowdfund their their projects going forth. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be Kickstarter all the time. Kickstarter, of course, does a lot of indie comics. They've done yeah. $30 million in indie comics in the past. Yeah. You know, but they they do products. You know, they, mm-hmm. they do food. They do uh, basically, uh, they do product. Games. Games, uh, home, yeah. home bath and body works type stuff mm-hmm. and everything like that. So like, that's kind of been their forte is just to crowdfund anything. So now yeah. you have a crowdfunding aspect where they strictly go to indie comics. Like we mm-hmm. only comics and they want to get into just more geek culture. Yeah. They want to do games and they want to do video games per se, mm-hmm. like RPGs. And then they want to do video games. But the fact that you have somebody even like taken into, taken into a court, looking at how much indie comics has been successful for Kickstarter and be like, you know what? We would like to do that, but strictly for this culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing because somebody just it's thought really that, cool. like, you know what? Mm-hmm. This is what I want to do for them. Yeah. I want to just do it strictly for that. You know, just anybody coming to that site who's looking for something, it's a comic fan. And so you, you have your, your audience already, it's like you don't have to worry about because Kickstarters run on an algorithm just like everything else. Yeah, you gotta you gotta follow certain things, like certain things for projects to appear in your feed of Kickstarter. Yeah. And so, but knowing that Zoop is available and they're very selective in the in the projects that they put, so you know you're getting a quality project, and mm-hmm. you know that when you go there, you're only seeing comics. And it oh. is it's such a cool thing. It's such a what a time to be alive, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean. How how good could it be to be yeah. a creator nowadays? Yeah. You almost have you now, now you have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're gonna get booted out or anything like that where you're trying to put your project. Yeah. You have a concept like Zoop that's basically taking forward and saying, you know what, if if you're that close to your goal mm-hmm. and you're not making it, let's extend the campaign for you a little yep. bit so you can reach it. Yep. Why yeah, not? How many times? I mean, I know I've seen several, several campaigns that are like 
maybe a ton, hundred, two hundred dollars off something that might seem large, but given another week, they yeah. could do it. That's all they could That's do it. I yeah. Need. Yep. Definitely. So, yeah. Zoop is putting more power back into the hands of comic creators. Of course. Of course. Well, Brett, I, I got to say, man, I look forward to the uh, to the to the project and hopefully get it into my hands very soon. When are, when are we looking for Immortals to hit everybody's hands? Uh, the the Kickstarter should be fulfilled um, in October. Um, we are fulfilling with Comics Wellspring. So the book is almost done. Um, all the colors are done and lettering is happening now. So before the end of the campaign, the, the book will be finished. Um, and so all we have to do is wait for the, the funds to drop from Kickstarter and then send everything to Comics Wellspring and they will print and fulfill and ship everything um, and get it in everybody's hands. Perfect, man. Perfect. Yep. Brett? This is like my first time uh, outside of like doing like a live stream. I think I did one with Concrete like a very long time ago. Yeah. We yeah. actually got a chance to speak one on one. And this has been absolutely phenomenal, man. Thank you for Thank being you, ditto. here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and next two weeks, Immortalis still on Kickstarter, doing well so far, already funded yeah. and will be in everybody's hands by October. So, Brett. Thank you for doing this again. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Absolutely. So for Brett Hillishheim, I'm saying that correctly again. You got it. You got it. Yep. James Grandmaster Facts Voice. And we are out. Mm -hmm.